0: Welcome, everyone, to the Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete.
1: This is a high-stakes table, dear. I saw some room over at Fantan. The Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 202, The City's Not for Burning, is sponsored by Canal's Treat vietnamese market we're slashing prices and
0: bodies pete so glad to be continuing to be podcasting iron fist here so glad to be keeping up our pace of three episodes a week as we get through this 10 episode season
1: time to step inside the dojo and deconstruct this episode A Golden Tiger gang member stops by Canals Treat, Vietnamese market to grab a bag of cash, but is hacked up by the hatchet-wielding Yang clan. Danny just happens to be walking by the market to find the dying tiger, and no one calls 911. As Chinatown simmers, Danny sees Mary from Wisconsin in a coffee shop. She admits it took a second to remember him, however, as she gets really focused when she draws. She shows him several of her drawings, which though good, haven't helped her get any steady work. She asks him for places she can capture interesting subjects, but he cautions her about wandering around Chinatown today. He offers to escort her since Albert canceled work for the day, but Mary gets a little overwhelmed. Danny brings her back to his girlfriend Colleen's apartment. Danny explains how they met, and Mary asks to use their bathroom. Danny also explains why he's off work today being sweet to Mary. In the bathroom, her heartbeat intensifies and then settles which causes her to sweep her hair back in a ponytail and leave rather abruptly for an appointment she forgot about with a different sounding voice. Colleen heads for work at the Bayard Center when she, where she intends to resume her search for Frank Choi. Uh, Colleen suggests Danny go see Mr. Yang to prevent more gang violence. Danny flashes back to the seemingly never ending fight with Davos to see who would face Shao Lao as the last unbeaten warrior. Masked, their left hands bound, neither could leave until the other yielded or died, as Davos's father, their sensei, Le Kung the Thunderer, and Davos's mother looked on. At the center, Colleen finds her friend Sam setting up for a casino night fundraiser that Mr. Yang's wife will attend with her well-heeled friends. Sam says Choi has left no breadcrumbs behind. Colleen runs into the teenage toughs she roughed up in the Silver Lotus restaurant. She disarms them and they split. She follows them back to their hideout where Bibi explains to their leader Rhino They found Colleen, but failed to take her out. Colleen confronts Rhino, who brandishes a shotgun, before he relents. She sympathizes with their plight, living in Tiger territory with space heaters and such. She tells them they can come to the Bayard Center, but Rhino don't want no charity. They good, for now. Bebe apologizes to Colleen privately she learns from him the hatchet gang is planning a decisive strike against the tigers then they are gonna get their own turf and be faux real players danny goes to see yang down at the docks but learns his nephew was the driver murdered in the armored car heist frustrated danny smashes yang's desk with his fist ward's assistant katie Tells him Rand's acquisitions department can't make sense of why Joy wanted the mostly defunct patent she requested as part of her severance package. Turns out the patents were acquired defensively. Ward apologizes for being a bad boss. Katie learned from Joy's assistant that she's attending an event at Bailey's auction house and Ward's schedule is bat s crazy. Mika Prada notes the change in Joy and wants to know if Davis is part of that equation. They're not a thing, only working on a thing together. Mika wants to work on Davos. Ward wonders if Joy wanted all the cash for home decor, but he really just wants to talk to his sister. His assistant badgered hers all week, but Joy knows things too like that Ward is in Narcotics Anonymous. Davos interrupts because Mika is ready to show them the item, an ancient bowl of interest to him. It also speaks to joy and Davos needs it tonight and their plan doesn't work without it. Danny and Colleen reconvene and exchange info. They go to the charity casino and get Mrs. Yang to call her husband. Later, Mika, whose husband is a congressman running for re-election, makes a man out of Davos. Joy makes a movie out of that. Danny flashes back to his fight against Davos one final time when he blinded him with the sun before Le Kung awarded the right to base the dragon to Daniel Randkai because Davos would not yield. Yang informs Davos he can no longer secure the shipment as he's renegotiated his hold on the port to prevent violence. Davos embraces him and does something to his neck his guards somehow do not notice. Yang stiffens in his chair after they leave. Mary calls Colleen's apartment looking for Danny and then sees all the pictures she's taking of them along with a note to stay away from Danny Rand which she folds up obsessively sparring partners. Let's take a look at who Danny faced off against in this episode.
0: Pete, let's start with the hatchet gang here. And you know, I feel like I understand this fight between the Hatchet gang and the other the other 'er ne'er-do-wells in Chinatown, Pete. Thanks to the character of good old little Jimmy Lin. You remember Jimmy Lin from the episode, right? I do not. Uh, Well, Pete, that, of course, is the lovable young boy who represents Chinatown. Wait a minute, Pete. There is no character in this episode to make me care about bad guys fighting bad guys in Chinatown. Now, let me say... Obviously, in the real world, I don't want to see gang violence. I don't want to see communities pulled under, you know, and whatnot. But um, this is fiction, and I don't have an in to care whether hatchets kill the other people or the other people kill the hatchets. I need that little chubby-faced boy or chubby-faced girl to be like, no, their playground now has bodies. Or I think Pete of Spider-Man Homecoming, it's not just the baddies ripping off the ATM. It's the fact that that's catty corner from the deli where Peter Parker goes. That character isn't there. So I don't really care that much about these gangs fighting gangs.
1: But wait, isn't Rhino's gang, the chubby little boy that we care about?
0: You, you mean okay okay they are they're certainly the you know fairer faced you know little rascals and I, I will admit the line of you know don't you go to school well i just go for lunch i mean there's a ton of kind of pathos suggested at there like is he getting enough to eat at home is is there enough money at home is you know is he picking up this life of crime uh because uh there's not enough structure in society and things like that okay fine but how many times have we seen rhinos gang do bad things including the well-written good twist to oh man there's a mugging colleen wing will help psych i actually have a you know i the victim actually have a gun and it's for you like that that was a good twist but young gang youths versus older gang folks i don't have my in to be like oh man pete it's my chinatown and i'm not saying this as a white person i'm just saying like I don't have this hook to hook me into, oh boy, I care about the community.
1: Uh, I think between Rhinos gang and the mentioned but unseen in this episode, Albert, there, there are some faces there. But at the same time, I, I do see your concern um, because just because Chinatown is suddenly
0: dangerous doesn't necessarily make us feel for that. Yeah, like the whole line of like, you know, I don't want you to be walking through Chinatown today. I, I, it seems like that is some sort of blanket that is supposed to make me shudder with fear. You know, this is also the same MCU New York that saw the Midland Circle bombings and explosions, that's seen Chitauri, that's seen all of this other stuff. Uh, and again, I don't want to downplay real-world concerns of, oh my goodness, the neighborhood is changing, the neighborhood is unsafe – In my mind, that's a very separate issue. These are all fictional creatures who exist for my own entertainment. I got to get hooked into their plight and their concern. And that's why there is the kindly deli owner in Spider-Man Homecoming. That's why there is the Fonzie next door. That's why there are these characters to act as a proxy for the audience. That's why there's Winston Zeddemore in Ghostbusters. So you kind of go, wait, I don't completely understand things all the time, but I'm willing to work hard to go catch ghosts. Pete. Hopefully, there's more Winston in the future.
1: <laughs> a little more uh, clear cut, Matt is
0: the villainy of joy. Indeed, and I really appreciate, on the one hand, that they are that they're giving Joy interesting stuff to do. The, the mystery of the mystery of the mystery, still a mystery, but okay, fine. I don't need everything upfront. Um, I like that. I like that she's a very intellectual uh character intellectual female character these are all pluses Uh, i must confess pete and feel free to tell me if if mine eyes were failing me uh usually i'm pretty good seeing locations and 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 things of that sort it took me probably two minutes in that party scene in her apartment to realize that we were in her apartment
1: I was never completely clear that was her apartment because later they are looking at the antiquities. So it, it was Bailey's auction house. I thought. Uh,
0: I I know they referenced that, and then I was I was just very confused because it, I and then I didn't know if what I thought was her apartment in the first episode was actually like no, this is her her space. This is her loft where she's conducting business. I totally agree that they are somehow in the same building where there's the, the 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 basement if you will where the the bowl was. I just found again separate from the character stuff just in terms of the presentation of the narrative. Pete, I hesitate to say this, but I'll be completely honest, and maybe it wasn't helped by the fact that I watched part of this episode on my phone which you know that's a party foul because this is a big tv production and you know it's 2018 and and you know netflix is a big player and marvel's a big player and if i'm missing out on details because i'm watching it on my Wii phone that's shame on me it took me like 30 seconds to be like oh that's joy
1: well i took you 30 seconds i would advise to not watch it on your phone
0: (laughs) fair enough absolutely fair enough again i don't want to sound overly down it's just these were some of the these are some of the issues that came up. But to bring it back to a more positive tone, I, I do like that we have Joy in this very cerebral uh, bit of villainy. I don't know that she is necessarily a villain to us, but certainly in opposition to some of our characters. Um, and, you know, a cerebral crime, to be sure, defensive patent uh, attainment, and then now, you know what's the what's the patent that she actually wants amidst all the stinkers? I do have a question, and this is not a complaint. This is not a little Jimmy Lynn. This is not a where are we question. But here's my narrative question, Pete. The idea that these are patents which are defunct, like you get Pete invents a new who'sy whatsy? Pete puts out the patent, you get the patent for X period of time. I must confess, I don't know what the standard period of time is for a patent. But when that patent is up, it's just general, it's it it's owned by the public, right? Like, I'm a little confused narratively what the benefit is of getting defunct patents. That's kind of like saying, Pete, I have a book called Grimm's Fairy Tales and there's a defunct copyright on it. Can you figure out which one I'm going to do something with? Your response should be, (laughs) I don't care because there's a defunct copyright. Anybody can turn the old lady who lived into a shoe into a movie. It's not just Matt who has the book with a defunct copyright.
1: Well, think of it from the standpoint of uh, like a Viagra. Okay. uh where that why are you laughing (laughs) pete
0: i I, it just gave me a chuckle i think it's the first time we've ever discussed that (laughs) on the podcast pete i guess every podcast reaches a point where you know what you need to talk. A, you need a little Viagra to help out with things. But please go ahead. I mean, joking aside, okay. it's, it, it's...
1: it's not an endorsement. It's not something I use. But anyway, <laughs> um, and and God bless you if you if you need it. It's science, man. But um, I believe it. It was a seventeen year window, and it expired. And then you have generic Viagra, so non millionaires who once a while uh, might need a little bit of help uh, can can now get it. Um, And obviously, you could look at the cost benefit of being able to make a generic version and make it more affordable for people. We know that Rand has dealt with um, medical patents, uh, medical technology before. uh, So who's to say if that's not in the realm of possibility here?
0: Fair enough, and as we move on, Pete, somebody who I think uh, discovered he doesn't need Viagra—that's Davos, who is a character, perhaps a tad one-note, but I, I really, really, genuinely enjoyed this idea that he is committed to a uh, a principled monastic existence, and in these times of all of this, you know, what are your principles versus practicality? I think joy. Within the narrative, and there's no wink, wink, nudge, nudge here, and being ge- genuine and honest here, I think she she really does a great job of laying out to Davos, this is why you need to, you know, make the sexy times on the couch. It, it it is to it is to facilitate the principled world that you want to live in, even though it is in opposition to your principles.
1: Well, listen, while Joy was repeatedly a sparring partner in season one. This is season two Sexy Joy. So what does Sexy Joy do, Matt? She wears black. She comes up with sexy plots and she comes up with things for Davos to do this time that involve sex. (laughs) So it's just Sexy Joy being Sexy Joy and Davos being not Davos going somewhere in his mind while uh, this Mika lady did things to him <laughs> um,
0: that's that's all that, that were we'll to argue with
1: that were recorded uh, conceivably for the purposes of blackmail to get this bowl.
0: Um, it's a lot it's, it's a lot to go through for the bowl. hopefully it's uh, hopefully it's all worth it. Um, Pete, we also have Mary in this episode who seems to be seems to be sweet and seems to be the only Mary that we've known so far, particularly with willful suspension of disbelief and not knowing where the character is headed. Then we get dark, confident ponytail Mary.
1: Ooh, I know. Right. Like the characterization that happened there, Matt suddenly leaving and wearing a ponytail and not being fleshed out in this episode. She was, this was a massive, uh, you know, a uh, moment in villainy. <laughs>
0: Why are we still doing this, Jeff Loeb? With with, with only <laughs> ten episodes, with as you said, Pete, the, you know, like a, a quarter of the season or so taken away compared to the thirteen. Why are we teasing this out? Particularly, I will I will genuinely go with the conceit in the beginning of the season that you know let's turn a blind eye if you've done research on the character to know that there's going to be a multiple personality disorder thing going on yeah that's fine you don't need to give that all to me up front in the first episode but we saw enough of that in this episode uh we and we saw that shift where i think now even ever the most ignorant to her comics background person in the audience. Everyone in the audience is now clear that there's a multiple personality thing going on, you know. And if not that, then you're saying, you know, it's a poltergeist inhabiting her, or it's an alien, you know, whatever it is. There's two people going on in there. Whatever direction they're they're going to take it, um, then we go back to these mysterious notes. No, you you gave enough to the audience to have them know that there's two people living in her head. I will say, Pete, Alice Eve's sweet portrayal. Feels a little too saccharine, but then you realize, oh, she's going there and yes. with this kind of slightly hazy so that she can, boom, drop the do- drop the voice, be confident. And it's like, oh, I get it. These are acting choices made to contrast. And that's that was a delightful contrast.
1: Yeah. I think the teasing out is appropriate given we're in episode two of ten. But damn, if I don't want to see more of the other personalities at this point besides – I'm going to put a ponytail in and leave. And I've apparently taken some pictures and left you three sticky notes.
0: (laughs) Pete, last villain, at least question mark here, Danny, who doesn't give his live-in girlfriend a heads up. that I'm bringing home another attractive lady of, you know, the approximate age of Danny and Colleen to just come and hang out in the apartment. I mean, I know Danny's heart is in the right spot, but you don't want to give your lady a little heads up that I'm bringing another lady home to the to, to the loft apartment dojo thing.
1: Well, Matt, you know Danny figures he's doing the right thing, but even though he did say he's got a girlfriend, uh, very prominently out on the street, maybe a text, a call ahead, something. Time to focus our chi and look inside this
0: episode pete we talked before about rhino's gang being uh you know sort of proxy for the audience or a way for us to understand some of the troubles going on in chinatown what's their future these fresh-faced youths hanging out in their ninja turtle foot style hangout layer with you know uh extension cords powering their heaters and i presume video game systems etc <laughs>
1: i think i saw a skateboard or two (laughs) underneath there um i think this is the i don't think it's the window in necessarily for the audience i think it's somebody for colleen to save it's somebody for her to obviously build that connection with um to give us information and to see the cost of this gang warfare that there are these forgotten kids uh, living beneath Chinatown in uh, Tiger territory.
0: It is certainly an interesting way to construct the start of the season where there's the, the gang warfare storyline that seems to threaten now. Then there's kind of a you know the the, the uptown, suit and blazer storyline going on at rand with patents and joy and ward and all that um and we still have typhoid mary yet to fully kind of get going here so kind of here we are 20 percent through the season mostly focusing on the gang stuff the other two you know, <laughs> the other two set to explode presumably at some point in the next eight episodes
1: what about these patents, Matt? We discussed it a little bit in the previous uh, segment, but what could they be for?
0: I do feel torn on that storyline because in our real world, there certainly is drama enough when it comes to patent warfare, You know, especially over some of the mobile phone technology and all that. I don't know how kind of deeply... Hooked into it the audience at large is but it, it, it's a cerebral place to exist and and you mentioned before how rand does seem to be a bit leaning towards biotech so i think that will you know it'll probably not be something in the weapons area um i just hope that it's a storyline that bears fruition and and does not um you know that's not some sort of MacGuffin of it's just something for them to fight about and for the family uh, such as it is of of Ward and Joy and Danny uh, to fight about.
1: What's in the bowl,
0: Matt? Well, certainly it being part of the Davos and Joy uh, mystery here. Uh, I mean, I suppose that gives us a view back to your prior question, Pete, in terms of you know Joy's ultimate plan here. Clearly, the bowl has some sort of. Quasi mystical connection. I mean, it's it's more than just a uh, you know a brass receptacle into which one could put you know whatever one puts uh, puts in a bowl. Um, again, I, I I feel pulled between. I want to have a season long mystery, but also I'm a little I'm a little nervous that it's going to end up being you know Dragon Bones at the bottom of middle middle and circle. and I'm going to be let down a little bit. Hopefully, the joy Davos pairing can lift me back up, Pete.
1: Who took pictures of
0: Danny and Colleen? Well, Pete, that was one of the more exciting moments in the episode, at least in my eyes, particularly looking ahead to future storylines and so forth. Uh, to me, it, it it is clear based on very little evidence that it's one of Mary's other personalities. So she's kind of got this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing going on here and sweet Mary perhaps doesn't even know why she keeps running into danny uh i mean you know albeit in this episode she she was not kind of in his path he just happened to walk by sort of thing um that's an interesting place to see where we're headed and i i find myself really excited to get into this dr jekyll mr hyde thing with typhoid mary um i don't think it's a, a retread of an old you know of an old story though you know, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde—certainly uh, an old story, but I think there's tons of potential there. I don't know to what degree Mary knows about her other personalities. In fact, Pete, I will put it to you. I know you are all-knowing, all-seeing, and all—all all up to date. But at this point, through these two episodes, how much does Mary know about her own affliction?
1: It remains to be seen. I think, um, you know she seems to be taken aback by the sticky notes but also seem to understand they're a part of her life so it's interesting i appreciate the slow burn but at the same time i want to see a truly evil alice eve so much i'm impatient two-parter matt from me but it's my last what did davos do to yang and does he have the worst security guards ever
0: uh, well, I'll answer the second part first. Yang does have the worst security guards ever because, uh, I don't know, if there's two of them, one should escort Davos out and the other one should either check on the boss or be the caboose behind Davos to give the boss one last look.
1: Fantastic um, geek security is top-notch, <laughs> by the way, I have to say that. Because anytime we have a dispute and and we end it amicably, they never let me hug Matt. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, that was just it. And I understand there's this moment of kind of, you know, honor among thieves or that sort of thing. But to me, the hug seemed the hug seemed out of the blue as opposed to uh, like the scene seemed just a tad rushed, Uh, which is fine. Let's keep the pace going. Let's not do Marvel, Marvel Netflix, you know, super slow stuff. But again, that was that was the teensy plot hole through which you could hide the tap tap. And and do the mystical thing to him, um, I just found it a little difficult. So he has enough strength to sit down, but not enough strength to be like, "Yo, Jerry, something's not right. I'm having a heart attack," <laughs> or to pick up the phone and dial nine one one or whatever. Which I understand is also necessary because if he collapsed, then the guys would know. But you know, story sin. Eh, I don't quite know, or is it just a story thing? You have to do. I don't know. Remains to be seen.
1: It's weird for me because it's within the characterization of Davos to go and hug him and say what he did, that he's proud to know him, but that he's able to get that close to someone he had previously threatened on two occasions. Yeah, it, it, it just adds up to a less than satisfying situation.
0: Well, Pete, in my head, I've just thought of a way to reshoot the scene to make all this be better. They were on, based on where the camera was placed, they were on the far side of the room. If you put them closer so that you could get the camera to see their handshake a little bit better, that's what I'm going for. If you could zoom in or do a a close-up on their handshake, and during the handshake, he did the finger tap-tap on the other side of the hand. Look, I don't know chi points. Why aren't
1: you doing this, Matt? Why why aren't you in there?
0: <laughs> I don't know pressure points in this and that, the other. But this is all, you know, like, as I say many, many times before, at the end of the day, this is all about people in their underwear who are bad fighting people who are in their <laughs> underwear who are good. So you could have enough. I, again, I don't know if there's a thing. I, you know, scientifically, he did the carotid artery or whatever. Whatever. He if he does a tap tap on the back of his hand as they shake hands, I don't think it's unreasonable for the gentleman for these two gentlemen to shake hands on the way out. And if it becomes a two handed handshake there for a moment maybe a little close for quarters but you know whatever davos is a weird eastern guy and and all of that you know and it, it, so it could it could have been tap tap and then still have the same effect so you know what marvel call me i'm happy to get my dga card anytime just for you <laughs>
1: Let's listen to some messages from the mystical city of Kunlun.
0: Pete, a tweet from our pal Down Under, which I'm sure was just said in flawless Australian accent there. uh, That's Shmahu on Twitter, a.k.a. Jeremy. And he said to us, so great to hear your non-fawning, realistic yet hopeful review of s 2 e one That's your episode 201 uh, of Iron Fist. (laughs) And then he says, parenthetically, now 99% buck free. (laughs) Uh, If you want humor, knowledge, context, and the occasional inside tip, Fantastic Geeks Iron Fist podcast is my recommendation. Thank you, Jeremy, for those kind words. Absolutely made my
1: morning to uh, see that in uh, this hemisphere, Matt. Uh, upon waking this morning um and certainly uh between uh jeremy's comment on twitter or anybody who feels the same who'd like to go to itunes and leave a review we'd love to hear from you
0: indeed pete and after they've done that let's have them be in touch with us so we can make sure to uh to acknowledge that pete how can people be in touch with you
1: you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,967. Followers,
0: can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter, is looking back lost. Do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are fantasticgeek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more.
1: Facebook.com slash fantastic geek, all one word with the P H like it today. And if you have multiple personalities, you can like it several times.
0: Pete, we have some great stuff in the pipeline in the next month. Of course, continuing to go with Iron Fist. Uh, We also have our God Friended Me podcast, a a show debuting in the United States on CBS uh, later this month. Also, we are increasingly hyped about New York Comic-Con the first weekend in October where we're going to be at the panels for Marvel's Runaways, Star Trek Discovery, a whole bunch of other good stuff. What am I leaving out, Pete?
1: Daredevil. They just added Daredevil. So really uh, excited that Marvel Netflix came to their senses and figured out, wait, we have a show in Hell's Kitchen. We have a show about Hell's Kitchen that's coming back sometime before the end of the year. Let's do a thing and show you the first episode of season three.
0: Indeed, and uh, definitely looking forward to that. So all of that going on the Pop Culture Podcast feed uh, along with the individual podcast feed, podcasts, feeds, for those (laughs) shows. But Pete, bringing it back to Iron Fist, we'll continue to do three episodes a week, Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. So definitely looking forward to talking to people again on Wednesday for episode 203, both on the Pop Culture Podcast feed and the Iron Fist only feed with that, Pete. I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word.
1: The city's intoxicating every corner of it, but it's hard to know where in the puzzle I fit in.